Um, again, good morning. Thank you everyone for joining. Last week, Rabbi Davidovich gave us an amazing a summary of what we did until now, and Emir Hashem this week. He will give us a taste, an overview, a good broad picture of what we are going to be doing coming up. And so we will ask Rabbi Davidovich to take it away from here, and everyone will enjoy. Hello, thank you, Rabbi Friedman, for this opportunity to uh, learn some more Tanya with all of you. And what I would like to do, following uh, Rabbi Friedman's uh, guidance, is to review the next few Prakma of Tanya along the lines of the way that I did it last week. In the last uh, class that I gave, just a week ago, I reviewed everything from the cover page of the Sefer Shalbanonim through chapter 17. And now what I would like to do is, again, review the cover page, as well as chapters 18 through 25, Perak Yud Ches through Perak Chav Hay, inclusive, the Ad Bechlal, those chapters are the second part of the Sefer Shalbanonim. And in order to understand what the second part of Sefer Shalbanonim is, what I like to do is look at the cover page again to remember what the Sefer is all about. According to the Balatanya, the Sefer that he wrote, called Sefer Shalbanonim, is there to explain what a Bainoni is, but primarily, because Bainoni is a word from our Gemara and from the Zohar, but what the Balatanya wants to do is explain a Pasuk. The Pasuk is in the cover page, that the matter, which matter, which davar, the matter, if you look at into that Pasuk, either the observance of the Torah or the mitzvah of teshuva, or maybe both, in fact, are karov me'od, are very accessible. So what does it mean that it is very accessible? So the Balatanya's first answer covered chapters 1 through 17, in which he explained that the observance of the Torah can be very close to a Jew, because all he has to do is make sure that his nefesh alakis, that his godly soul, can overcome the obstacles of his animal nature by not confronting the actual soul in an attempt to transform that animal soul itself, which might be too difficult for most of us to do, but rather to win the battles, to constantly win the battles over meaning the thoughts, speech, and actions of a person. And if you can continue to defeat the tendencies of your animal nature, not in terms of really transforming the nature itself, but merely to transform the levushim, or rather to affect, I should say, to affect the levushim, the garments, the way that the soul expresses itself, thought, speech, and deed, then that is karov, that is something that everyone is able to do. Now in chapter 18, he begins the second section by telling us, focusing on one line, and I'll read the first line of chapter 18, which will give us a sense of what he wants to do now. Uletosefes biur. I will continue to explain, I will add an insight, Be'er Heitev, with extreme clarity, 
Milas Ma'od. I want to explain the word Ma'od, which we spoke about in the last class. Because it's one thing to say that something is doable. It's something else to say that it is very doable. So why is it very doable? Not everyone is, not just that not everyone is a tzaddik, not everyone has uh, great capabilities, certainly not in the obvious sense. So the Baal explains now, chapters 18 through 25, two essential ideas, one building on the other, as to why the observance of Torah is exceedingly ma'od, accessible. And here we will begin. In Perakir Ches, he begins by telling us that the reason it is karov ma'od, it is very accessible, is because all of us have it. You might not think you have it, but every Jew, all Jews, have as a Yerusha, which means an inheritance, from Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, from our Avos, this capability. Meaning, since it belongs to everyone, as we are descended from the Avos, therefore, just as inheritance is something that has nothing to do with inherent capability, inheritance has nothing to do with skill or spirituality. Someone inherits something because they are the child or they are related to the one who is bequeathing. So too, every Jew has this capability. That is the first easy answer as to why it is karav ma'od, which means, and he says this explicitly, that even the biggest ameharats can be a total ignoramus. You can even be among the poshim, Jews who do averos, we still connect to the Avos, we are all still connected to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and we are all still connected to Hashem Echad. And this is a connection that, like inheritance, transcends anything having to do with the intellect. So what is this nature? What is it now? The Valtanya wants to explain, moving on to chapter 19. What is it that we inherited from them? It's one thing to say we inherited it, but the Valtanya wants to take it a step further. And explain now, starting with chapter 19, what is it, what is that inheritance that makes it possible to live a life of um, So he explains in chapter 19 that the Jewish neshama has an innate nature to want to connect to Hashem, even at the expense of leaving the body. Meaning even though, as he explained in chapters 1 and 2, that we are comprised of two neshamos. We have a nefesh Bahamas and nefesh alakis. But when it comes to the Jewish nature, our nature is specifically more nefesh alakis oriented, that we would be willing, and we have shown ourselves willing, as he will continue to explain, to connect to Hashem, even if it means leaving our body behind. Now, how does this manifest itself? So Baal says, this innate nature manifests itself and how even poshim, meaning even Jewish sinners, are willing to give up their lives against all reason, meaning this violates the basic tenet of animal life, which is to want to live physically as long as possible. And a Jew is willing to give this up rather than even appear to acknowledge some sort of foreign power, avodazara, even though their neshamas were asleep and inactive for so long. So a Jew could have remained entirely unconnected on an explicit revealed level 
to his Yiddishkeit and Hashem. It appears to be so. Yet somehow, and we have seen this over the course of these many centuries, that Jews have shown themselves willing to give up their lives, not only rather than worship Avodah Zarah, rather than even appear to be worshiping Avodah Zarah. And this is something that we gained, that we all have in our Jewish neshama. And this is why he specifically points out that it goes against all reason, so that it has nothing to do with the intellect. And why it even applies to Poshim, because as this, there are many, many stories, not only Hasidish stories, but stories going back thousands of years, the Jews and from the Gemara and from Midrashim, the Jewish sinners are willing to do anything and everything to maintain that closest to Hashem at that moment when it counts. So now, here's the thing, and this takes up most of the space until the conclusion of this section. It's fine to say a Jew is willing to give up his life, but why does giving up one's life, which is an extreme case, right? The Jewish tendency, the Jewish nature for Mesiras Nefesh, which is a beautiful thing. How does that translate into a life, not a moment of death, not Kiddush Hashem at death. How does that translate into a life of not Messias Nefesh, where Chas Shalom, some dictator or evil soldier, has a gun to a head, but rather to a life of Torah and mitzvahs? So here is the bridge to Perichaf, chapter 20. The Balatanya writes over here in chapter 20 that really all mitzvahs are branches of the meta-dual concept that is the basis for the Jewish connection to Hashem. Yes, there are 613 mitzvahs. And it's true that 613 means there are 248 positive mitzvahs and 365 negative mitzvahs. But really, at its root, there are two mitzvahs. Two mitzvahs that we heard directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu at Harsinai. And the two mitzvahs are known as Anochi and Lo Ihi Anochi Hashem Elokecha, which if you take it a look, this is the beginning of the Aser Sadevros, is a positive declarative statement by Hashem, that Hashem is the God who took us out of Mitzrayim. That phrase Anochi, which we understand from the Gemara, is a declaration, and technically speaking, in the dikduk of it, in the grammar of it, is not a, uh, a command, but in halacha we understand that as being a command. It's a declaration. And that declaration, that positive declaration, that Hashem is our God who took us out of Mitzrayim, that is the root of all 248 mitzvahs to say, all 248 positive commandments. And lo Elohim you should have no other gods but me, is understood by the Valtanya as being the root of all shasa mitzvahs losasa, all 365 negative commandments. Which means that this two-sided coin, anochi and lo is not merely a declaration of, hey, listen, you should know that I'm your God and you shouldn't have any foreign gods. But rather, it's a much deeper idea, which if I might add parenthetically here, is the focus of what seems to me to be the majority of what we call the Maimarim of Hasidus all over. Meaning when a person hears about all the Maimarim, Torah or Likutei Torah, the Maimarim of all the Chabad Rebbeim, 
They really seem to focus on the ideas that are being expressed here in the next few prakim. Namely, and this is the, the Hasidic take on it, that it just doesn't mean I am your God. There are other gods, but I am your God. And you shouldn't listen to those other gods, you should listen to me. Rather, Hasidus explains, especially here, beginning with this chapter, the idea that kula that nothing is worth anything in the presence of Hashem. The whole world is considered as nothing before him. Why? Because, and there are many ideas here, Ani Hashem lo shanisi. Here's another deep idea of Hasidus that is from, it's, a, it's from Navi. I Hashem have not changed. There is no change. Hashem is the same. Before he created the world, Ato Kodem, I am God before I created the world, and I am God after I created the world. There's no change in Hashem whatsoever. And this is because the world is insignificant to him. If you were to tell a billionaire who discovered he had a penny in his pocket, and you would ask him, tell me, are you any wealthier now? What does it feel like to have added wealth? And he would say, what added wealth? There's no added wealth. I'm, I'm a multi-billionaire and you found a penny. So Hashem's uh, the the level of understanding what Hashem is worth, and that a, a penny compared to a multi-billionaire is tremendously more significant than the whole world compared to Hashem. The whole world is insignificant to him as a word or a thought or an unexpressed thought is to a human being. If a person were to say a word, you would say, wow, you said a word. Do you feel exhausted? Do you feel depleted? No, after one word, I don't feel depleted. You had a thought go through your head. Do you feel depleted as a result of that thought that you had? No, that is the way the world compares to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because Hashem does not change. Hashem is remains changeless and the world is insignificant to him. And this leads us to Perik Chaf Aleph, chapter 21. That the difference between Hashem and us in this way is that when it comes to Hashem, the world is still kilo chashiv. It's as naught. It's as nothing. Even after it was created through Dibur. So that, for example, if you have a thought in your head, the thought in your head is not taking anything away from you because it's still in your head. It's still in your mind. Once something has been expressed, once something has been said, it's already outside of you. The Baltani here writes in Perich of Aleph that when it comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even something that has been expressed so that it already has been created because of something that Hashem has said, the world is still Kolochashiv as if it is still within his thought. You see, with humans, once a word is expressed, it's beyond his control. But with Hashem, once even after he has spoken something out, it is still totally within his control and still insignificant as far as its true meaning. So that the whole world, even while it continues to exist and all of us feel our own independent reality, it is still part of Hashem's reality. And it is all still part of Devar Hashem. Now, so what is the difference between the world, Hashem, and our relationship with him? before the world was created, after the world was created, the difference is in how we perceive things. HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed there to be a difference in how we can perceive the world, that we perceive that there would be a difference before the creation of the world and after the creation of the world. And Hashem created this through a model of creating 
limitations in how the world or in how Hashem is perceived. <clears throat> so that we have a sense, which the Balatanya says is an illusion, illusion of independent existence. So that is why we refer to other gods as Elohim Acherim, not just to mean other gods. The word Acherim, of course, on a certain literal level means other. But the Balatanya explains that Acher can also is also related to the word achor, as in achorayim, as in something behind us, which is the opposite of ponim, ponai. Lo Elohim acherim al ponai. Achor means behind God, so to speak, as we'll explain. Ponim refers to before him, in front of him, seeing his face. So what did Hashem do here in Perikhof Beis? Valtani explains that Hashem created the perception so that he would allow us to see uh, beyond it, to allow it for reward and punishment. This view that there is something real other than Hashem is the root of Avodah Zarah. So that Anochi Hashem Elokecha, just to take us back to chapter 20 for a moment and connect it back to chapter 20, does not mean I am the Lord your God, meaning I am your boss. It means I am the totality of your reality. And lo yelecha means you should have no reality, no acknowledgement of uh, some other reality that would put you at any distance from me. So this is the difference between what I might call a superficial or conventional view of these first two mitzvos and these two mitzvos the way that the Balatanya explains it. According to the Balatanya, Anochi Hashem Elokecha means, I am the totality of your existence, of all existence. This is your reality. You should have no perception of existence that has me somehow outside of the picture or not truly all significant. So now, as deep as this idea is, and as much as a person might say, look, I'm not sort of, uh, you know, I have to be some top level theologian, you know, to understand that when we speak of God, we don't only mean a boss in the sky, but we mean reality itself. And Avodah means fragmenting of reality, so that I see reality as being different parts. Hashem wants this, and I want something else. Hashem wants this, and there, but there are other things in the world. There are other parts of reality. That latter is what the root of Avodah Zarah. So Baal says, these deep ideas are not something just to leave to tzaddikim and to rebbes and to the holiest neshamos that are around. They are meant to be understood on a certain level or appreciated by all of us. Why is this? Because of what it, he begins now to describe in Perek Chof Gimel, chapter 23. He says, mitzvos that we do, are an expression of Ratzon Hashem. And therefore, in the language of Pnimius HaTorah, mitzvos are called Evare Demalka, the king's limbs, just as limbs express what it is that the mind wants, mitzvos express what it is that Hashem wants to do with the world. Talmud Torah goes beyond that, because Torah is Ratzon Hashem itself. So when a person does a mitzvah, whatever that mitzvah is, 
What is happening at the time that he is doing that mitzvah? <clears throat> a mitzvah makes a person a limb of the king, of the Ratzon Hashem. A person does a physical mitzvah, whatever that mitzvah is, he is now exp expressing what it is that Hashem wants, the same way that a hand expresses what it is that the mind wants when the hand works well. So that whether it's talis or tefillin or mezuzah or Shabbos or Kiddush, they are all expressing Hashem's will. When a Jew learns Torah, what's happening is that he is accessing Hashem's will itself. So Talmud Torah binds a person to Ratzon Hashem itself. This is the power, this is what a mitzvah does on two levels. The doing of mitzvahs, and then the specifically Valtanya focuses in Chav Gimel on the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. So now this takes us to Perik Chav Dalet, 24, where he explains the reverse Chas Shalom, which is that when a person does an Avera, what happens? Hashem has specifically said that it is his desire that and this Avera, whichever of the 365 Averos, not be done. Therefore, anyone who does an Avera separates from Ratzon Hashem and separates from the Achdus Hashem, the idea that Hashem has a singular will, that his will be done in this world. So that a mitzvah connects one to Ratzon Hashem, the singular Ratzon Hashem, and Avera separates a person from Ratzon Hashem. It's as if there is a separate Ratzon, a separate will active in the universe. And this is what relates to Avodah because it is foreign to what it is that Hashem wants. And here the Baal Tanya gets a little strong in the language. There's always this passage here in Perik Chavdalad, which whenever I review it, it creates a certain pang in my heart, where he goes a little bit of a Musr Shmuz. He says, you should know that when a Jew does an Avera, and you see it separates him from Hashem the way that Tumah, we think of impurity as being separated from Hashem. He says, but it's far worse than Tumah. Because when a Jew is doing an Avera, it's worse than any actual tummy thing that he created in the world. Because that tummy thing that he created in the world, imagine uh, a pig, you know, some, some treif food, whatever it is. It exists. It's not the fault of the, the thing that it exists. It exists because Hashem created it. But when a Jew does an Avera, then that he is knowingly putting himself into that same space, that same understanding of Tumah. And then the second very harsh thought, if I might, you know, offer some editorial comment here, which I really shouldn't. But the Baal Tanya says at the end of here, Perich of Dalet, is that a person might say, look, so he did an Avera, but that's okay, because tomorrow he won't do the Avera. So it's not anything permanent, but the Baal Tanya says, you might think it's not permanent. And of course, it isn't truly permanent. However, during the time that he is doing the Avera, his Nefesh Bahamis, and that level of klipa, of separating from Hashem, is pulling, drawing down the chelik imal, the nefesh alakis, and subjecting that nefesh alakis to the greatest insult. And here he uses a very powerful image of imagine someone taking the king's head and smushing it, rubbing it into some sort of dung heap or garbage heap. You're bringing the achdus, Hashem created the world, Hashem echad, 
and you're fragmenting him and you're bringing him to, into a broken world. So the Baal Tanya doesn't want to end this section on a negative note. So he concludes here with Perich Chavhei, which is the conclusion of this section. And he says that this approach, meaning the approaches of chapters 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24, explain this aspect now of Karov Me'od. Because when you understand that there is no Avera that cannot be avoided by contemplating the reality, which is a reality that you already have, because you are a descendant of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So it's already innate in you. That you realize that if a push came to shove, and as we have been pushed and we have been shoved for many centuries now, and a Jew just has to think, I don't want to separate from Hashem Echad even for a moment. And just as you understand, a person naturally would understand, that no obstacle to a mitzvah involves more Messias Nefesh than literal Messias Nefesh for Hashem Echad, then this will drive a person, if he thinks about it, he or she thinks about it, to want to do every mitzvah that comes your way and to avoid any Avera that comes your way. Because it isn't just a mitzvah. It, that mitzvah is a manifestation of your already existing belief of Anochi Hashem Elokecha. That Avera, which might seem to be some sort of minor Avera in your minds, is but an expression of another God, of Lo just as you would not wish to serve Avodah Zarah, even for a moment, and a Jew has to relinquish his life rather than being over to Avodah Zarah, even though tomorrow they might leave him alone so he can live a life full of Torah and mitzvos. This will hold a person to loyalty because he will say, I would rather give up my life than reject Anochi. So I can certainly fight any of the more minor, minor obstacles in life by adhering to a branch of Anochi. So easy. And Baltanya concludes by saying, this fortitude can come from reading these chapters of Tanya, but they also come from saying Shema twice a day. He says, that's why Moshe Rabbeinu told the Jews to say Kriya Shema twice a day. Because Kriya Shema and the Mesiris Nefesh that is inherent in the words of Kriya Shema, right? We, should, we say Hashem Echad, and then we say that Hashem demands means you have to give up your life. Contemplating this idea and then following this idea of Mesiris Nefesh, which you already have, to its natural conclusion in the observance of 613 mitzvos will render all of the Torah easily accessible to you. And that is the conclusion of this part two of Sefer Shilbenunim. Thank you, Rabbi Friedman. And uh, I just want to add one more word, not so much as part of this, but as I am summarizing, I feel the need to remind myself of this and remind others that even though I have found this method of summarizing and understanding the bigger meta picture of the different Prakim in Tanya, I found as I reviewed it that the Balatanya finds ways of inserting beautiful Torah and Eitzah advice and guidance, even in just a few lines of Tanya. Meaning, I didn't have to go through all eight chapters just to get some insight. Meaning, the Balatanya manages to squeeze in 
loads of insight on different areas of the observance of Torah and mitzvos in in every line. So just something to think about to encourage my own uh, chitas uh, observance as well. Thank you, Rabbi Friedman, and thank you all for listening. Thank you very much, Rabbi Davidovich. Crystal clear, beautiful. Uh, the chain hala. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you everyone so for much. Thank you all. And uh, we'll talk whenever. Thank, Thank you, you, everybody.